Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar series. I'm Daniel Pipes, president of the Middle East Forum, and it's my pleasure to discuss today with Danny Danon, chairman of Worldly Could and candidate for Israel's parliament, the Knesset, in the forthcoming November 1st election in the Likud party, about his new book, um, his experiences as Israel's ambassador to the United Nations in New York from 2015 to 2020. Prior to his United Nations role, he served in three sessions of the Knesset. He has a BA from Florida International University, an MA from the Hebrew University. He completed his military service with the rank of lieutenant. His first book, The Will to Prevail in 2012, makes the case for Israel to develop and sustain an independent policy. And his new book is called In the Lion's Den. This year came out and it recounts his UN years. Uh, Danny and I have known each other since 2009 and 2013. I wrote an article about him in which I noted that he has three outstanding qualities. It's quote, a devotion to principle, a mastery of tactics, and the ability to articulate a vision, unquote. I concluded the article by stating that, quote, I hope and expect he stays true to his principles and rises to the point where he can end the recent desultory politics in the Jewish state. That was in 2013, unquote. So, with no further ado, uh, please, Danny, Mr. Ambassador, tell us about your book, about your years at the United Nations. Thank you very much, uh, Daniel. It's our pleasure uh, uh, being here today with you. Uh, this time it's on Zoom. I hope next time it will be uh, in person. Uh, also, when I was uh, serving as Israel's ambassador to the UN, we, we had a very interesting engagement uh, with the Middle East Forum. And I'm happy to have a discussion with you today about my new book and about what's happening today in the region. So I, I, with your permission, I will start about the UN. Uh, you know, when I came to the UN, I, I knew there would be a lot of hostility against Israel, but I, I was surprised to learn that actually we have a lot of friends. The problem with most of the friends we have at the UN, that they support us quietly uh, and, and not publicly. And for me, it was a real surprise because I came from the Knesset, from the Israeli parliament, where it is exactly the opposite. In, in the Knesset, usually people would say good things about you in public, but that won't be the case behind closed doors. And in the UN, it was the opposite. You know, publicly they would speak against us, but privately, you know, they, they would actually be very friendly. They will support and even admire us. And when one of my goals was to close that gap between the private UN and the public UN. And I did it uh, uh, through a few ideas I came up with. The first one is to, to bring our tradition and history into action. Uh, many events, uh, celebrating many holidays uh, and basically changing the, the narrative about Israel uh, at the UN. The second part was the technology. I used the, the advantage we have in terms of being the startup nation and offering solutions for many countries. And the third part was actually bringing uh, ambassadors to Israel. You know, uh, 
you came many times, Daniel, to Israel, and you know when you come to Israel, it's, it's amazing, you know, to spend time here. Uh, and that's what I did. I brought, you know, more than 100 UN ambassadors over the years uh, to come to Israel, to visit us, to see the challenges uh, from the north to the south, many of the security issues, and to meet the people. And that, that was very helpful. And I think the combination between those three pillars helped me a lot to, to be effective and to be able to change things at the UN. And I will give you one example. When I decided to run for a position uh, to become the chairman of the legal committee at the UN, you know, many of my colleagues in Jerusalem were shocked and actually called the prime minister back then, Netanyahu, the prime minister, and they told him why Ambassador Danone is running for opposition. We, we never play offense, we play only defense at the UN. And I convinced him that we, we can actually win the, this race. And we did. You know, I worked quietly and we received in, a, in secret ballots the support of 109 member states and only 44 voted against me. And for me, it was a great personal success to, to actually prove that we, we have friends at the UN and we can win in a hostile place uh, like the UN. But unfortunately, we still have the, the hatred. We still have those ridiculous resolutions condemning uh, Israel. And for me, it was unique to, to work with two US administrations. And uh, in my book, In the Lion's Den, I, I describe, you know, how was it to work with uh, President Obama and his team and with President Trump and his team. Uh, and uh, Actually, you know, one of the things that I mentioned that with President Obama, it wasn't too bad. You know, people usually think that, you know, it was really bad and only with Trump we were able to, to do things. But uh, I tell the stories in the book that we did a lot with, with Ambassador Samantha Powell, but nobody will remember it because of the shameful decision of the President Obama to push a resolution against Israel a week before he left office. And I refer to resolution 2334. And I recall, you know, the minute when Ambassador Power told me that she would abstain in the vote, I told her, Samantha, you know, nobody will remember what we achieved together at the UN. Everybody would speak about this shameful vote that you're gonna abstain. And that's exactly what happened, you know. Everybody speak about that moment where the US decided to, to leave us uh, and not to support us. And I was sitting there by myself. I knew that there would be a new administration, but it wasn't easy. It was, you know, I really felt in the lions then at that vote in the UN Security Council, the resolution passed. Uh, I want to remind you because it was in 2016, but it called our presence in the old city of Jerusalem a flagrant violation of international law. Uh, and uh, for us, it was, it was hard to accept such a language and especially when it came from our closest ally, uh, the United States of America. But uh, after that, President Trump came in and we were able together with Ambassador Nikki Haley to, to achieve great things uh, for Israel and for the US. Uh, in general, I'm optimistic about uh, our positions in the international arena. I think today more and more leaders understand that it's not about Israel. Uh, and the fact that we were able to sign the Abraham Accords, that was a great uh, proof that we can do things without actually making mistakes with the Palestinians or concessions to the Palestinians. 
a Riley Court Secretary Kerry when, when he actually uh, was walking uh, the media after the vote, he explained that he did it in order to support us. And he said there will be no peace with any Arab nation before the Israelis will sign a deal with the Palestinians. And I said back then in 2016, exactly the opposite. I said, the only way to move forward with the Palestinians is first after we will build bridges with other Arab countries, then they will realize that they cannot defeat us. You know, we can speak about the victory approach, Daniel, and then we can basically uh, sign a deal with them. And that's what's happening now. We, we signed the important peace treaties with the Gulf countries. Hopefully with the Saudis, we'll see some development. Uh, President Biden is coming to Israel uh, uh, in, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I don't think much will happen here, but maybe in Saudi Arabia, we'll see some progress in normalizing the relations with Israel. Uh, and I think we should continue to develop bridges with other countries in the region and hopefully the Palestinians will realize that they will have to work with us. Uh, one uh, point with your permission about the elections in Israel. So Please. we have a strong democracy, but sometimes we, you know, we, we, we look at your system and we say maybe we have to change the system because we are heading for a, another cycle of elections. This government uh, couldn't last. It was a bad government. Uh, the only one thing they had in common was a desire to remove Netanyahu out of office, which they did. But after that, they, they had nothing in common. Uh, we are heading for another cycle in November. Uh, we don't know the results. I hope we will get the majority. You know, I decided to come back and, and support the party in order to get uh, the votes. And hopefully we will be able to build a strong uh, government led by the Likud party and we can deal with the challenges. Today we have uh, challenges from the North, mainly Hezbollah, from the South, from Iran, but we also have domestic issues. You know, we have seen uh, uh, riots uh, last May from the Arab Israelis, not all of them, but you know, a minority, a very radical and dangerous uh, minority. Uh, so we have to deal with those radicals as well. So we have a lot of things to do. And I hope that in November we'll be able to to form a, a strong government. Uh, I want to thank you for your involvement with the Israel and the Middle East. You know, it's, I know some of you personally, and I know that you are very knowledgeable, very involved. Uh, one thing to stay optimistic, you know, uh, despite everything we'll discuss today, uh, the people of Israel are happy. You know, we, we feel safe. We have, you know, a strong uh, economy, great culture, and people in general are, are very happy in Israel. So uh, uh, I think that's what we will try to do to ensure the safety of the people of Israel so they can live safely and, and uh, become a stronger nation. I would love Daniel now to, to open the discussions and, and have a chat with you and, uh, and these distinguished guests. Well, thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate your, um, your insights in particular I noted in your book when you said how the UN is the opposite of the Knesset and the Knesset they praise you in public and criticize you in private and the United Nations is the reverse. I understand the Knesset, but why do you think there is this persistent pattern of criticism of Israel in public, even though in a private and a, a secret ballot you won by over two to one the position? What, what, why, why is there no change? publicly? 
So I, I think, you know, in the book, I describe it as the gang mentality. You know, in the UN, most countries belong to a regional group. And when you look at the group, some of them, you know, we are very strong bilateral relations. But when it comes to the multilateral uh, level, they tend to be very hostile to us. And I think the reason is that in the group, usually the, the loud voices, the radical voices will dictate uh, the resolutions. Take, for example, the Arab League. You know, in the Arab League, you have moderate countries like Egypt, uh, Jordan, UAE, uh, Morocco, Bahrain, uh, and a few others. Uh, they are not leading uh, anything there. They will follow the radical countries like Syria, uh, Algeria, uh, Lebanon sometimes, and they will allow them to set the tone. Uh, and it's not only in the Arab League, in, in many regional groups, you will find you know, those countries who are very hostile to Israel becoming very active. Even when you look at the European countries, you know, when you look at, at Ireland, I don't know why, but they are very hostile to Israel. And they put so much energy against Israel at, at the UN. And you will see other countries following them. And, and that's the problem I had with my, my colleagues. You don't have to follow them with the resolution. You know, let's discuss the reality. And, and then they move forward. But many times they will just follow those voices and then it becomes the EU position or the Arab League position. Uh, I think we are in a better situation, but, but we have to demand more. Uh, and that's what I'm doing in, in many bilateral meetings. I tell them it's not enough to support us uh, only bilaterally. We want you to do the same when it comes to the UN. It's particularly ironic when you mention the various Arab League member states because the ones that have reasonable or good relations with israel are far more powerful than what lebanon syria algeria it's not much of a powerhouse group there ironic that they should be leading the the way uh you mentioned at some length resolution 2334 it was clearly a very contentious and emotional issue at the time some, what is it, that was late 2016, it's almost December 2022, so five and a half years later, what significance do you see that that resolution had? What legacy does it have? Is it just a historical footnote or is it something important? Unfortunately, it's not only a, a footnote. Unfortunately, today there will be reports every few months following the resolutions, and those reports will be submitted and discussed in the Security Council. And also our enemies will try to go back to the resolution in every discussion. And they will fight that it will be included in the language of any resolution. And, and when I was there together with Ambassador Haley, we were fighting back uh, that it will not be included in the language of any further resolutions. And, and I think that's the problem we have. And, and I have to tell you that the Palestinians you know, over the years, they became very effective in, in attacking Israel at the UN. You know, they don't speak about peace directly with us. They don't invest in, in building their society or their economy, but they are very sophisticated in, in attacking Israel, in spreading lies against Israel. And that, that's what they're doing also with this resolution. They will go back to it and they will try to leverage uh, this resolution when they go to attack us on on other organs like the ICC or other UN bodies.
does it have a significance outside the United Nations? I would say yes, but not in the general public. But that basically, when it comes, you know, to to ministries of foreign affairs, you know, they will refer to that resolution, and when they want to attack us, they will use it. So I don't think it's changing the facts on the ground like most UN resolutions. But when it comes to controlling the narrative or setting the agenda for the international community, it supports the Palestinians' claim. And overall, would you say that Israel's situation at the United Nations is getting better, getting worse, or staying the same? Uh, I think it, and I describe it in my book, in the Lions Den, that it's getting better. I think today more and more countries realize that it's not about us, it's about the Palestinians, and especially after the Abraham Accords. You know, when I flew to the UAE before the Accords were signed, and it was a very sophisticated operation to get there for me personally. And today we have 14 flights a week from Tel Aviv to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And I think today more people realize that basically, you know, we want to live peacefully. But the problem is that, you know, the Palestinians, they have radicals controlling Gaza, they have a corrupted regime controlling parts of Judea and Samaria, and they don't blame us for everything. So. I think today it's in a much better situation than it was seven years ago when I entered the UN. Good. Could you give us two or three pieces of advice that you would offer to your successors in that unusual position? Yeah, the first one would be to reach out to everybody. You never know when you will need those people. And you know, even if it's a small, tiny country, Sometimes they have the vote like Russia and the US. So you need to reach out. And that's what I did. I, I, I hosted many ambassadors for Shabbat dinners. Uh, I brought them to Israel. And you never know when you will need them. The, the second thing is to invest time and energy uh, with the UN officials. You know, people tend to think that the UN is only the member states, but you have the bureaucracy of the UN and it's like, like a state, you know, huge budget, thousands of employees. And I think we need to have strong connections and relations with the UN organs and to know how to work the bureaucracy of the UN. Many times I found it to be very effective when you know how things work in the UN. Good. Uh, you mentioned Israeli politics. Let me ask you as a candidate for the Knesset, what are your priorities? So, you know, many people come and tell me, listen, you served as a successful ambassador. We want you to be the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And, and that's flattering, you know, and I enjoy, you know, diplomacy. And, you know, I know you, Daniel, for so many years, and we always like to discuss foreign affairs in general. But, you know, after being here for more than a year, I think the issue of the domestic security of Israelis today should be the first priority. You know, we speak a lot about Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas. But today you have a problem that Israelis are, are afraid to walk in the streets of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Today you have a problem of, of, a, of a organized crime and protection all over Israel. So I, I think law and order, that's something we will have to bring back into the streets of Israel. We have to empower the police forces, the military, and actually 
allow the Israelis to build uh, a strong economy and a strong military. Uh, that will be my first priority. Uh, but you know, I learned that in politics, you never know. You have to wait to see who will form the government, uh, what the coalition will look like, and then uh, I can know which position to, to look. You were not terribly complimentary about the coalition government of the past year. Is there anything positive about it? Any any developments that were ex, that it that it achieved? Any anything it anything positive? So from the beginning, the 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 lower the expectations. They said we are not going to deal with any you know uh, foreign affairs or major issues. We're going to deal only with domestic issues, and, and they failed on, on all fronts. One thing I think that they were they did like uh, an okay, and they can you can tell them that it was you know well organized. I think the issue of COVID. I think in general, you know, we learned from past experiences, and and we dealt properly with the COVID uh, during the, the last year. But uh, when you look at what's happening today with the economy, with security. Even with foreign affairs, you know, President Biden is coming to Israel, and I put a, an op-ed about it. He actually, for the first time, is going to visit an official Palestinian institution in East Jerusalem. And that would be a dangerous precedent because basically he's signaling to the Palestinians that in the future, they will have some kind of ownership over parts of Jerusalem. Even President Obama didn't do it. You know, usually the protocol that you meet the Israeli prime minister and president, and then you go to Ramallah or Bethlehem to meet the president of the PA. And on Friday morning, President Biden is insisting to come and make a statement in a hospital in East Jerusalem, and actually sending a clear message to the Palestinians about their future possession, sovereignty over Jerusalem, which is something that we will never allow. Yes, I read your op-ed in the Jerusalem Post. It wasn't quite clear what exactly is the problem. Is it that the Israeli authorities will not be joining him in Eastern Jerusalem and there will be Palestinian authority representatives there? Is that the problem? That's also you know, a problem, but the, I think it's also the fact that he chose to to go and visit a, a Palestinian institution in East Jerusalem. It's a statement. It's a statement. And I think in the future, you will see other leaders coming from Europe and they will follow Biden's step that they will do the same. And that's something which will, we should not accept. You know, in the past, when I brought the Secretary General of the UN to Israel, you know, we have some kind of negotiations before any official visit. And I was very strong about that, that we, we would not accept it. Uh, uh, so you, ha you have ways to send messages. But basically, I think for us, it's uh, an insult. Uh, and it's also creating false expectations for the Palestinians. The embassy of the US moved to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is united under uh, Israeli sovereignty. It's not going to change. And by, by doing that, it's actually telling them we, we are heading to that direction. Maybe the next step we would open a consulate. Maybe we'll do something more. Uh, I think it's going to be bad for us and bad for the Palestinians. 
just one more question on this. The consulate can only open, the US consulate can only open with the permission of Israel. By extension, this visit to the Palestinian institution in Eastern Jerusalem requires Israeli approval or the American government can just do it by itself? Are you so, criticizing you know, with the, the consulate first, at first I don't really understand why you need a consulate if you have an embassy. You know, right. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with any precedent that you have in, in one city and the embassy and the consulate. Uh, that's something which uh, it, uh, doesn't make any sense. Regarding the visit, you know, we will not forbid uh, the US president to do whatever he wants. We will, we will respect him, we will accommodate uh, his wishes when he comes to visit uh, Israel. But I can tell you that I think it also uh, related to the fact that we have a, a very uh, inexperienced prime minister, Prime Minister Lapid. Uh, we doesn't have the knowledge and the experience on foreign affairs. Uh, I think we should have solved it in advance. When we had the advanced team coming to the to Israel, we should have sent a very clear message to them that it will not be well received. Uh, but we know when you have a Lapid as a prime minister and as a minister of foreign affairs, uh, he's limited in his capabilities. You mentioned Israel victory. Are you, you sound like you're positive about it. Can you give your thoughts on the notion of Israeli victory and Palestinian defeat? Is this something that you believe is a way forward? So I'm a very uh, a strong follower of Dev Jabotinsky, uh, who was a great scholar, a great Zionist leader. Uh, and uh, one of the ideas he brought to, uh, to Zionism was the idea of the iron wall, which basically, basically say that we have to be strong to defeat our enemies, and only then we can speak with them about peace. Uh, and I think that's the reality today in the region. Uh, unfortunately, you know, with Hamas, we, we haven't been able to defeat them. You know, every time we have to, we are buying more time until the next conflict. But uh, I serve as Deputy Minister of Defense, and I'm aware of the challenges, but I think in the long run, uh, we will have to defeat uh, Hamas uh, and it would be much better for the Palestinians because then it will allow them maybe hopefully to bring uh, a new kind of leadership that will be able to invest in the people and, and not in the terror regime. So yes, I do believe that we will have to eventually go back to the idea of an iron wall of a victory mindset, uh, and then we can think about the future. And I acknowledge that this idea of Israel victory is in some way a descendant of Jabotinsky's Iron Wall, which, by the way, is will have its 100th anniversary next year, 2023. Uh, what happened to it? What happened to this idea? Why, why did it get lost? I mean, why does it not remain a powerful notion on in the successor parties and in the Likud uh, so many years after Jabotinsky, given your respect for his work and that of many others in, your, in the Likud party? Well, I think what we have seen in the last few decades that, you know, uh, many leaders, including in, in the Likud, they will follow the polls and the public opinion. 
you know, I, I worked with many prime ministers and I think the last one who actually was leading directly, strongly, uh, was Prime Minister Shamir, who ignored public opinion, he ignored the polls, and he ignored the media. Yep. Uh, and he told me once, I recall it, I was very young, he told me, we will do what's good for the Jewish people, period. Uh, and he didn't care about the rest. Uh, I think today, uh, it's not the case, unfortunately. Uh, and many leaders are looking at, you know, the way it will be perceived, what will be uh, the public opinion about uh, those kind of issues. Uh, and I think in order to be a, a strong leader and, and to lead Israel, we have to start thinking about going back to the Shamir's mentality of, of doing, doing what's right and not doing what's popular. Very good. Well, with that, let me thank you so much for giving us your time, um, especially as election season has begun. Most appreciated. And wish you well with your career. And uh, hope Thank to you see very you much, Daniel. And I'm sure... Uh, Many people will enjoy the read of my new book in the Lions Den. It's available on Amazon and all over the bookstores. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye.